Hi everyone, it's Tom Panos here. I've got with me Marcus Ciminello. So excited. $2 million writer. We have a $2 million writer in the building and I'm really excited because very rarely do you meet a nice person that writes good money, that's transparent, clean business, does my favourite topic which is really good on VPA. So Marcus, thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and I just heard you talk at the summit. You've yes. just come off stage about two hours ago. Yeah, I thought it was an outstanding talk. Thank you very much. And today is pretty much the uh, opportunity for those that weren't there yep. around Australia um, to actually see the Marcus Ciminello way yep. of success in real estate. For those that don't know you, um, can I just get a short background on your real estate career to date? Absolutely. I, uh, I commenced my real estate career about 12 years ago. Um, at that time, as basically as a buyer's agent PA. After about 12 months, I was then employed by an approach by James Sossenden to work with him, and I spent a good 12, 18 months working with James as his PA. Certainly learned a lot in that time, and then went out as an independent agent made a change in terms of areas, not companies in that, in that time, working from a very mums and dad centric area, then into probably a little bit more dynamic area, being Turek, Melbourne, Armadale, South Yarra, which is certainly the, the bluest of blue chips in Melbourne. And from that point, probably about six years ago, it was very much a turning point in my career where I changed my daily habits, routines, and really started to apply myself in this business. I got to a point where I thought, I, if I'm gonna do this, I didn't, didn't want to be mediocre. I want to be brilliant, and I want to be the best I could be. And that point, certain things I implemented in my business day in, day out, that really accelerated my numbers. So from you know GCIs and you know in three, four hundred thousand dollars to having a turning point year where I came out the next year and wrote one million four hundred and twelve. So it was a very, very big turnaround and from that point on I've got from one million four hundred and twelve and the one fives and the one sevens and just finishing the calendar year just over two million dollars in gross commission introduced and that I don't own an office so I don't get the switch and people calling saying you know it's uh, I want to sell with Marshall White and they give it to me that's all purely self-generated okay so if you're not present I think the fact that Marcus just said that he did a set of activities behaviors and thoughts that took him from three and four hundred gross commission to 1.4 and gradually going up one six one eight two million. There's every reason in the world right now that you stop. You become totally present to listen to the next 15, 20 minutes. Marcus, what does your current team look like? You're at Marshall White Armadale. Yep, correct. What does your current team look like? Yeah, it consists of at that turning point in my career when my um, numbers started really accelerating and going back a step. It wasn't because I learned new scripts or learned new systems. I already knew all of that but I didn't apply it in a very, very um, efficient way. So once I started doing that in an efficient way, my business then took off, and at that point, once I knew, hang on a minute, I'm on a different ride here and going at a different speed, I then put on, um, which who I now refer to as my business partner, that was then my PA, uh, Nicole French. So Nicole works with me, we go into listing presentations together, we go on advertising campaigns together, so we work very closely together. Then we have two others that support us. One now being um, just purely administration marketing assistant, so who's always at the desk that we can call and make changes, get information back to vendors instantaneously because we want to provide a VIP service all the time for every single one of our clientele, whether new or existing or an old client. Um, then we also have uh, another girl on the team, Talia, who will literally wear many hats. So she might be the, the person who looks after settlements. 
that then might run around and drop off gifts or pre-listing kits and, and uh, reports and those sort of things. So it's a very diverse role and she's relatively new to our team. So that's a bit of a living, breathing thing. It's certainly evolving as a role. Right. Okay. So essentially there's four of you. Mm -hmm. Nicole being your business partner as such, does she go to listing presentations on her own or she's generally with you? Generally with me. So her focus is to really work buyers at this point in time, um, creating and identifying other opportunities amongst those that I haven't identified. Uh, if she does feel out of her depth, and the great thing about Nicole, she doesn't have an ego, an ego is a, a really bad thing in our business. If she feels out of her depth with a particular client or a particular opportunity, though I encourage her to chase as much as she can, she'll allocate it to me to follow up. Okay, so the four of you are tucked away in your own unit in yes. the office? Yep, absolutely. Um, do they report specifically to anyone or are they just normally talking to you all the time? Yes, yeah, so no one else in the company that they actually report to, right. um, reporting to me. Right. Okay, so you've got a, there's a you plus three others mm -hmm. in your team. Yep. Um, you've got amazing market share in your area. Yep. And I remember you had told me that that was not an accident, that you specifically said that you were going to be king of a specific patch. And Can you elaborate to our viewers? Absolutely. Well, I, when I made that, that sort of turning point in my career, it was, a, it was a tough decision to make. I relinquished a lot of people out of my database. Uh, at one point in time, I had somewhere in the order of 790 people, 770 people in my database, which is not a huge database. Um, relative to the numbers that I was writing, I then culled that back to 390, and at that point, my business took off. The reason being, I really wanted to focus on people who had you know, homes in the area that I wanted to focus in on, people that I really enjoyed dealing with, um, and everyone else, I was prepared to let them become an orphan or delegate them to someone else in the office who had a, a more of a, a, um, an attraction to work in those specific markets and specific price points. So what I ended up doing is saying, look, anything uh, below a million dollars, I didn't want to handle. And that was you know, back in 2007. I didn't want to handle any of that. I want to focus on the million plus. I want to be regarded as the agent who looked after great property. And it started to, within sort of six or seven or eight months being on the market, getting feedback from clientele out there and buyers going, you sell all the best homes. So it became recognisable. So then there was a brand association between myself and luxury properties through our market. Though amongst all of our competitors, I would be the baby, so age-wise. A lot of them have been in my market for a very, very long time, and there is a, a sense of complacency out there. I just came into my area with a different attitude and also a different and higher level of energy. But it took, um, really, the, the sacrifice of letting go before I was going to get paid back, so to speak. And then, and that then led on to advertising in print media and, and really making sure that I had presence in there, not only for my clientele's benefit, but for my benefit moving forward too. So I, I really made a decision to become a specialist in a certain marketplace. And we all know in any profession, specialists will always make more money than a generalist. And it's, it's relative to real estate, it's relative to the medical industry, the legal industry. So I think becoming a specialist was the key to really driving my business. Okay, I think viewers watching this, Marcus, would say, geez, you know, I'm struggling to get listings, and this guy over here, five, six years ago, made the decision that he would actually say to a vendor, um, I don't take that kind of property on, and did it in a nice way, of course. Um, but that must take courage to do that, to, to, to be able to let go of stuff that's there. Huge. It was one of the most 
fearful things you could do. And what I decided to do was not necessarily focus on and concentrate on the low-hanging fruit because the low-hanging fruit is what will always stop you and will keep you fed from getting to the top of the tree. So with a lot of those, I would actually delegate very, very you know, politely. I'd say, look, I don't specialise in that market, in that field, would you like to, me to represent you? But I do have a colleague in my office who specialises in that area. It'd be injustice for me to be working on your home when they know all the buyers, they know, they know the market intimately. So I'm doing a really great third party sell for some of my colleagues. Going in there and introducing them, so I'm softly backing out of the situation and giving them the right team. Because if that meant my name was on a $500,000 apartment, then a $2 million home, then a $750,000 townhouse, I was everything to everyone. So I had to get to a point of make, making sure I had an identity as an agent and people knew what I was and what I represented in the marketplace. Because otherwise, you just get lost. And see, so I'm meeting the same people in the same sort of net worth, in the same similar homes, week in, week out. So I'm, I'm actually in a pool of people that know each other, they've got similar homes, so it, it just actually manifests over time for me. Okay, key takeaway point. If you try and be everything to everyone, ultimately you'll be no one to anyone. And what Marcus is saying is he wanted to become a brand where people say that's the person to go to for luxury property. Correct. And by doing lots of things, you would dilute that brand. Because I was saying, oh, no, he does a bit of the cheap stuff. He's a bit of an all-rounder. Yep. You said, I want to get paid like a specialist. I'll act and behave like a specialist. Correct. Because in our industry, the, the reality is, if you're selling higher-end homes and getting better fees, you're ultimately going to make more money. And that was the decision that I made, that I wanted to specialise in a market where I was dealing with beautiful homes, you know, being great people, you know, or diverse personalities and celebrities and sports people, makes my, you know, makes going to work every day much more enjoyable. I, I think it's I think it's underrated, uh, Marcus, that people um, want to actually work with people that energise them. It's sort of, it, it makes sense. You want to you, you want to feel you want to have vendors that make you feel good, and you want to look forward to knowing that you're talking and having callbacks and interactions and listening presentations with people that make you excited because I think being drained at work is one of the reasons why people fail when they're not happy at work. Oh, absolutely, without doubt. And I think those people, um, I'm happy to set them free. I'm happy to let them be a competitor's problem because there are a lot of those people out there that will drain your time, drain your energy and make you feel like, if I, if I put it this way, make you feel like shit at the end of the day what, what, what's bad, you know, like um, not all business, they say not all good business is good business. What's bad business to you in real estate? What, what, what are those vendors that are bad business? I think in your, in your heart of hearts you'll know when you meet a vendor and uh, either building a relationship with them, the type of personality they are and how they're going to impact you. But it's always about having a clean business checklist too. Does it meet a certain fee criteria? Are they priced correctly? Are they motivated to sell? Does it fit your core market and your values as an agent? If it doesn't meet a majority of those, it's not worth taking on. Because I think a lot of those people, you know, applying the 80-20 rule will take 80% of your time for 20% of the result, yeah. whilst you're missing other opportunities along the way, or diluting the, you know, the effort that you should be putting into to your other clients. Okay, well put. I want to ask you, you are definitely an attraction agent. You are an agent that uh, people know about you before they need an agent. Yep. 
that's been an intentful strategy. It's not been an accident. Mm -hmm. What are some of the tips that you can give that have made you become so dominant and be an attraction agent in your marketplace? The way, the way I view it is, um, like your Coca-Colas of the world, your McDonald's, they will employ uh, a promotional agency to look at their business and say, right, how can we promote you better in the marketplace? What I do is I look at my database and categorize who are my absolute VIPs, who are my raving fans, that I can spend more time, energy, effort, and rapport with to ensure they are my promotional team out of the marketplace. They are raving fans that any time that they have a friend who needs to sell a property, they have a relative that needs to sell a property, they're, they're almost um, so far on your side that those people that they know feel obliged to use you and no one else, that they'll offend their friends, so to speak. So I do spend probably more energy and effort on 20% of my database, which at the moment has increased back up about 657. So there's probably really 80 to 100 people in there that, you know, my top 100, that I'd focus a lot of attention and energy on. And they're people that I know um, will see, promote me in a very, very, you know, good way to clientele and prospective clientele, or do when they're you know, at a dinner party talking about real estate. You know, this Marcus Kimonello guy, I've had great experiences with him, and. That just and that just manifests in the market too. So I'm not being once again with my database. I'm not being everything to everyone. I'm not orphaning the other eighty percent, but I'm putting a lot more energy and effort into that twenty percent, which ultimately by default builds an attraction business for you. I spent a couple of weeks up on the Gold Coast over early January, and I had five people call me that time. They were all referrals, wanting to sell, and they were all by the time I got back from the Gold Coast, saw them that first week, didn't compete, got great fees because. They felt obliged and comfortable based on the recommendations they had from other people. And in our industry, particularly with real estate agents, we're not, we're not held in high regard as, a, as an industry and, a, and as, a, as a career. So it's, better, it's, it's very much better the devil you know. Right. So people are will always ask around, who have you used, do you have great experience? So that's why I really focus in on that 20% of my database. Okay, key takeaway points, nuggets that Marcus has given us, and that is not every person on your database is worth equal value. That certain people are worth far more. Have the wisdom to work out who they are because these people will scream your name on a megaphone Correct. to the marketplace. Yep, absolutely. And what you're saying is have the intelligence to find those raving fans because they're like they're like mini market salespeople, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, working for you sending the story about what's so good about this guy. They're my business generation team, as I refer to them. Beautiful. So, um, you've got 640 on your database. I mean, give me any ideas, these 100 people, these top 100, if we may call them that, mm -hmm. what are the sort of things that you do to keep them on track with you, supporting you? Yeah, what, what, what do you call them? Exactly. A lot of them, a lot of them I will, because they're in my core market, they will actually run into a lot. And you know, I might run into them down the street, have a five minute conversation about real estate. When I get back to the office, I always make a note and I send them a card to say, look, great to see you. And the same old thing, if you've ever got a friend, colleague or family member ever needs any real estate advice. Do you send your cards? All the time. Right. Handwritten cards, I always say to people, don't underestimate the value of getting something tangible in a letterbox rather than an email. Because it, there's so much of it out there at the moment coming into your inbox it's diluted and the power of getting back to the basics with like handwritten notes, handwritten cards are so powerful. Um, with my top 100 around Christmas time, though we're, we're in an area that there's a lot of Jewish clientele that don't actually celebrate Christmas, 
I always send them a gift. You know, people that have been referring to me or I've sold great homes through that year saying, well, I hope you're really enjoying the home. I send them things such as gingerbread houses. And those gingerbread houses, they only arrive a few days before Christmas. They always end up on the centre of the Christmas table, you know, a Christmas lunch table, and it's a talking point. People are like, where'd you get that from? And people, the response I get from those, and I try and change it every year, are really, really powerful to reinforce when decisions, particularly over Christmas, New Year, where decisions are made about people making moves on front of mind when we're in real estate downtime, particularly in our marketplace. Right. Uh, I try and, uh, with a lot of these people, say my top 80 to 100, I'll be on the phone with them probably every fortnight, just keeping them up to date with what's been happening in the area. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that sale? And that very discreet sale around the corner. Um, but I also like, I always have a, a minimum of two catch-ups a week with out of those top 80 or 100. Might be a quick coffee. Look, I'm going to be you know, down past your office on Monday. If you've got 10 minutes, I'd like to catch up and have a coffee. These people, because I'm building such strong rapport with them, we generally catch up and don't have to talk about real estate. Talk about what's happening in life. They'll always question what's happening in real estate. It's inevitable. But it's just that little 5, 10, 15 minutes with them is as strong as a year's worth of phone calls. So it's just getting face-to-face more often with those people. It's a very concentrated okay. effort. Okay. Marcus, I want to... So, so you do that, and it's important, um, yet it's not urgent, it's not the end of the day if you don't do it, but it is important, isn't it? And that's what a lot of people end up getting stuck. They end up doing the things that are just putting out fires, yep. but something like having this good catch-up, stay-in-touch strategy with people that you're not going to get paid there and then, yep. but you're putting emotional equity into that relationship that has payoffs down the track. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay.